listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics to help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Do you avoid discomfort or do you embrace it? The fact is, the more comfortable we become with being uncomfortable, the more we enable ourselves to succeed in life and in business. Today's guest is Navy SEAL combat veteran Brent Gleason. Brent was part of multiple tours with SEAL Team 5, and after his retirement from service, he joined the world of entrepreneurship. He was later named one of the top 10 CEOs by Entrepreneur Magazine, and he's now a best-selling author. Today we're talking through his upcoming book, Embrace the Suck, The Navy SEAL Way to an Extraordinary Life. For links to resources mentioned during this episode, you can visit creatingabrand.com slash 070. Now let's not wait any longer. Here is my conversation with Brent Gleason. Welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. So excited to have you here with us today. Uh, thanks for having me, brother. It's an honor to be on. You're the first Navy SEAL that has ever been a guest on the Creating a Brand podcast. So I'm really excited about this conversation today. And actually, fun fact here, the only other SEAL I've had an interaction with is actually David Goggins, who did the Ford your upcoming book, Embrace the Suck, that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, he did. He and I went through uh, SEAL training together, and then we were both assigned to SEAL Team 5. We were in different troops, so we did not deploy together. But uh, yeah, I've known him for 20 years. And when I thought about writing a book about resilience, mental fortitude, and pushing the boundaries of your comfort zone, I thought, who better than to be one of the you know big thought leaders and influencers in that space? <laughs> David really is a legend. And I've actually read his book, Can't Hurt Me, multiple times. But today, we're here to talk about your book, Embrace the Suck. I do have to say this about your book. When I first got it, I got an early release copy. It comes out on December 22nd, which... I'm going to have a link to in the show notes for the audience to actually pre-order that. But I have to say this, I picked it up and the first time I decided to read it was about 30 minutes before bed because sometimes I'll wind down with a book. You're already smiling because I, I, you already know what I'm going to say. This was not a book to read right before bed, at least not the beginning of it, right when it opens up. Talk about an intense book, uh, one that was hard to put down, very actionable. Uh, I ended up staying up way too late and reading through quite a bit of it. You did a great job with this book, though. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, David's forward, for example, is uh, definitely a gut punch and a great way to kick it off. You know, one of the things I wanted to do with this that I haven't seen in this sort of self-help space, for lack of a better phrase, but within that genre, you, you get a lot of fluff and sort of, you know, happy self-talk kind of kind of content. But I wanted to make this similar to my first book. I wanted to make it very actionable. So each chapter has a mental model, a tool, or some type of methodology that the reader can actually use in transforming their life, transforming their mindset, their behavior to achieve any type of desired results, achieve more of the goals they have set and really live a more meaningful purpose-driven life. And selfishly, the timing of the book is perfect <laughs> going into right. this, I didn't realize 2020 was going to be 2020. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, it comes out at the end of the year, right after the election, half the country is going to be pretty upset, maybe more. And everyone's had a pretty rough year. So hopefully in all seriousness, it provides to be a tool and a source of inspiration uh, to help people kind of move forward through many of the challenges that we've faced um, over the past six months. I'm excited to dive into this now. And you have the book broken into three separate parts. Uh, part one is embrace the suck. And then part two, which is what we're going to dive into today is to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And the third part is to take action, execute, execute, execute. But before we actually get into the uh, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, can you talk to us about what embrace the suck means to you? So essentially, this is this is a philosophy born in the military, but a lot of people have used that phrase and are familiar with the phrase. But really, it's about 
taking a counterintuitive approach to uh, to self-help, to personal growth, to personal development, developing mental fortitude and resilience um, by kind of moving away from the turning lemons into lemonade philosophy and being able to better digest the lemons in the first place, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, we spend a lot of time and this is, it varies from culture to culture, but especially in the West, you know, we do everything we can to avoid pain, to avoid suffering. Whereas in the East, for example, it's known to be a crucial part of development growth and, and that path towards enlightenment. So this is really about leaning into pain and suffering and changing the narrative in our minds about what real adversity truly is. And I think that, again, I know we joked about it a second ago, but a lot of us uh, this year will have faced challenges unlike any challenges we've we've faced in our life. And all of us obviously go through periods of suffering and obstacles, especially in the world of entrepreneurship and business and um, the pursuit of lofty goals in general. But uh, this year, obviously layered in with a global pandemic, civil, social, and political unrest, economic uncertainty, fires, hurricanes. <laughs> it's like, when are the locusts coming? You know, it's like, <laughs> what else we got for us, God? Uh, oh my gosh. So it's really about finding uh, a new way to look at pain and suffering. Because for example, in SEAL training, the students who have the ability to change that narrative and even laugh through the most miserable parts because it's so hard to wrap your mind around how miserable you are. Well, why not laugh about it? <laughs> why not say, you know what? Good. Give me more because this is making me stronger. Yeah. You know, there's something that you actually said in the book that I really liked. You said, if it doesn't involve at least a little pain, adversity, or challenge, it's not worth doing, which actually really stood out to me. And I'm wondering, uh, just from your background, is this something that you learned before you were actually in, before you were actually a SEAL? Did you learn this in school or anything like that? Or is it something that you learned through that or even afterwards when you became an entrepreneur? I would say not so much. And I, and I, this is sort of a, you know, confessional side of the book is, you know, I'm not the person who grew up with extreme adversity. Uh, you know, I grew up in a upper middle class, upper middle class family in Dallas, Texas, went to private school my whole life. So never really experienced you know, the types of struggles that many do when it comes to maybe be, you know, maybe like you know financial struggles or racism or obesity or uh, disease and things like that. But uh, I think that when I did make the choice to leave my my job in finance after college uh, to engage in what I refer to in the book as purposeful suffering uh, to follow a path towards service um, and giving to a cause greater than myself. That's I think really when my true journey towards personal growth began. I appreciate you sharing that with the listeners today. And also thank you for engaging in that purposeful suffering by becoming a Navy SEAL in the first place. That means a lot to me personally. Uh, now I'd actually like to transition into our main topic for today, which is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And the first thing you mentioned in this part of the book is that if you aren't failing, then you aren't trying. Can you explain what you mean by this? The, the instructors would say that to us as well, meaning, you know, if and that goes really, I, I, I probably learned more of that philosophy in my life as an entrepreneur <laughs> than, than anything else. Um, and really, it's about uh, learning to push the boundaries of your comfort zone, purposefully build uh, resilience and mental fortitude. Um, you know, by practicing daily diligence, but also um, learning to take calculated risk. You know, one of the one of the things that I've learned in my journey is that the the most extraordinary things that I've ever pursued came with a pretty significant amount of of calculated risk taking. Uh, to leave my relatively lucrative job in finance to pursue the path of becoming a SEAL, which, as you know, has an extremely high attrition rate. That was a risk, but the reward was immense. 
and then transitioning out and making the decision to pursue entrepreneurship, which, as you know, has a similar failure rate to SEAL training. It does. Uh, about 90% of startups fail or at least fall short of meeting their intended goals. Uh, that was another huge risk. Not something that I had initially set out to do, but like many entrepreneurs, uh, you know, I linked up with a guy in school, in grad school, and uh, we found a white space and decided to fill it. And we were off to the races. So how do you, you mentioned taking calculated risk. I think that many of us, we, we tend to not take risk because we don't understand how to calculate it. How have you been able to figure that out? Because as you said, both things that you've done in your most recent history, being a SEAL and being an entrepreneur, it's, it's a high probability that you're going to fail at both of those things. How did you learn to really take that calculated risk? Or is there really a, a way to do that? Well, I, I really learned that as a SEAL in combat. Um, you know, 9-11 happened between uh, the training pipelines about uh, well over a year. But you go to BUDS, which is basic underwater demolition SEAL for six months. Then you go into advanced training, which is SEAL qualification training. And during that week between those two blocks was 9-11. And that really changed the entire mindset uh, of that pursuit because everybody in our community went from being peacetime SEALs to wartime SEALs overnight. And so on the battlefield, you're taking calculated risk every time you step off the helo or out of the vehicle onto an enemy target. You have only so much intelligence. You gather as much possible ground intelligence as you can. You bring the team together and have 100% participation in mission planning, just like you should in a startup organization. And then at some point, you have to execute on that 80% plan. Uh, why do I say 80% plan? Because there's no such thing as a 100% plan. <laughs> the more time we spend trying to develop that 100% plan and eliminate as much risk as possible, the entire landscape of the battlefield has changed. And I mean the battlefield literal or the battlefield of business or entrepreneurship. Uh, that's why we even teach our clients as a consulting firm how to perform better strategic planning methodologies. So they develop that 80% plan. And then it's really about execution and being well prepared to have the ability to course correct when those inevitable obstacles uh, arise. Yeah. So the timing is obviously extremely important of this. When you know, when you hit that 80%, it's acting right away. And I think that's one of the things that we, that's where you have to just take the risk at some point you have to do it, which is obviously has a lot to do with, with courage. Uh, have you ever had anybody that you've been working with Obviously, in the SEALs, I certainly hope not, but some of you've been working with in the entrepreneurship space that just had trouble knowing when that time was. And what advice would you give them if they're saying, okay, I know I need to take the risk, but I just can't get myself to move? Well, oh, absolutely. When, you know, our my first company, the concept of that company came out of one of our grad school projects during my MBA program. And there were, uh, I believe, five of us on that team for that project. Uh, you know, the type of, type of school projects where like two people do all the work and the other three people sit around drinking beer. Acting like <laughs> uh, Which one were you? Just out of curiosity. Uh, I was drinking beer, but, you know, I was doing okay. some things. Um, but uh, the original concept, the first company was a, a home finding search engine. Uh, like an early version of Zillow, basically. And uh, we launched that right before the housing market imploded. So wonderful timing. But the point is, of that group of five, we were all very excited about actually taking this concept, filling a white space, uh, and building a company out of it. And five became two really quickly when the other three realized how risky that endeavor really is and how much work <laughs> it really takes to launch a company that's going to have any level of success. So uh, that attrition rate was high as well. And I've seen that. And also I've, I've done some informal uh, mentorship or spoken at, you know, graduate schools or undergraduate programs, you know, in entrepreneurship classes. Uh, and really it's, it's understanding how much desire you really have to be an entrepreneur how much passion you have behind that and, and finding your why 
uh, so that you can emotionally connect to that mission narrative, because otherwise you will not be able to successfully navigate the stress, the anxiety, that fear of failure, and all of those elements that will be standing in your way of success. You don't have that passion and drive and willingness to take an appropriate amount of risk, then chances are you will uh, either fail, fall short of meeting your intended objective, or just decide that you know it's 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 not for you because it's not a path for everyone, as you know. We'll get right back to today's episode, but first I want to share the number one organic marketing strategy for growing your brand. It's called podcast guesting. Whether you're an established business owner or an entrepreneur that's just getting started, being a guest on podcast is the smartest marketing move that you can make. To help you become a successful guest, I've put together a 12-step guide for podcast guesting, which will explain everything from the gear you need to quickly finding the ideal podcast to be a guest on. If you'll visit creatingabrand.com slash guest, you'll be able to get started immediately. No email or registration required. I trust that this 12-step guide will serve you well in your podcast guesting journey. And now let's get back to today's episode. In chapter six, you talk about doing something that challenges you every day. Getting uncomfortable as an entrepreneur begins by us being willing to do something that's going to actually challenge us instead of just staying in our risk-free comfort zone. Can you talk about why it's important for entrepreneurs to do something that challenges them every single day? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, think about it. We can talk. I like I like fitness analogies because they're they're really easy to digest as well as uh, business and entrepreneurship analogies. When you think about doing something that's challenging every single day, that's really the path towards personal and mental development and growth, just like achieving a lofty fitness goal uh, or training for a marathon. You're going to have to push the boundaries of your comfort zone on a regular basis to uh, to feel the necessary pain and suffering that signifies development and growth. Uh, similar to the fact that entrepreneurs and the best leaders I've known are lifelong learners. And we learn significant amounts, not just through the successes and doing things that are easy, but doing the things that are challenging, the things that we don't really like, the things that make us uncomfortable. You know, for example, you know, in combat, I will willingly run towards the sound of gunfire. But in business, one of my areas of development that I work on, and I've, I've gotten this from 360 reviews and peer-to-peer feedback and, and upward leadership <laughs> is uh, sometimes I shy away from the difficult conversations, whether it's the angry client or the disgruntled employee or the business partner or the angry board member <laughs> or investor. You're like, Oh gosh, I really don't want to have this conversation today. But <laughs> I practice having difficult conversations and not delaying those uncomfortable situations and leaning into them and tackling them right away, the easier they get. Or you realize that the conversation actually wasn't that difficult or the situation wasn't that scary, or the client's not really that bad. It's a fixable situation. It's a coachable moment. And I think, you know, when we can, and like in the book, I provide a tool where it's, you know, make a list of all the things that make you uncomfortable that stand in the way of achieving specific goals, or developing great relationships, or, you know, for those of us with children, you know, raising responsible, kind, giving people, those all come with very, you know, various types of challenges and obstacles and things that uh, we aren't super comfortable with. But the more we in, intentionally uh, lean into the things that make us uncomfortable and practice those things, you know, they, your comfort zone expands and the things that were scary or the things that seemed insurmountable become part of your everyday life. Then you move the goalposts and you do it again. 
Yeah, you laid it out in the book as a three-step process. See it, own it, use it. And I really like the fact that you, what you just said here, which is to actually make a list of the things that make you uncomfortable, which I believe is a hidden gem for entrepreneurs to do. Because I believe many of us, we just do our best to work around them, right? And I think that that could actually be a strength as well in a certain sense is to maybe not go after your areas that you're not great at. But when it comes to actually something that you don't want to do that is going to help propel you forward, you have to be willing to do it. So making that list is extremely important. Is this something that you actually self-reflect on on a, a daily, weekly, or monthly basis? Like, how do you know that you're making progress in those areas? Uh, my wife reminds me that, uh, uh, <laughs> okay. things that I, the things that I suck at and that I should do better job. Um, no, it's it's and again, these are these are things that I've failed at miserably uh, over the years in my early days as a, a business leader and entrepreneur, and it really comes back to uh, self-reflection. Uh, and I find that the people who are best at their own personal growth and development really crave feedback from from others, whether it be a coach, a mentor, peers, and especially those they lead. I didn't start doing and engaging in that type of activity until, you know, many years into my entrepreneurial journey, because one of the things we do, and this is a mistake, is that when things are going well, uh, we lack the specific leadership resilience principles because everything's rosy on the horizon. The company's growing, we're profitable, investors are happy, clients are happy, customers are happy. So clearly there's no threat on the horizon. Well, of course there, there are. It's our own development uh, is, you know, it's not just about trying to find ways to navigate the murky waters of uncertainty, the obstacles that we'll face as business leaders and entrepreneurs, but preparing uh, for those moments that you don't foresee. Uh, I remember in our first company, we were, we were tripling in size every year, both revenue and EBITDA and, and headcount and things were great. But well, we didn't see the fact that the housing market was going to implode <laughs> and we were not prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, really it's about preparation, but as a leader, uh, an entrepreneur, and the thing about entrepreneurship that's interesting is, you know, you're, you're a excited young person with a business plan or you raise some money, but Ultimately, as soon as you start surrounding yourself with people and hiring a team and building that team, you become a leader, not a manager, but a leader of people. And it's one of the most important things that entrepreneurs need to learn quickly. And I wish I would have spent more time developmentally in that area earlier on is you have to develop yourself as a leader, which is a lifelong practice. Uh, It requires reading, studying, feedback, acting on feedback, action planning, mentorship, all those things are critical. And and the best leaders out there constantly do it throughout their entire career. Man, I completely agree with you. Developing ourselves as leaders is beyond important. It's something that we really have to take into consideration every single day. This is actually a perfect segue to talking about one of the points from chapter seven of your book, which is choosing wisely what we suffer for. As leaders, this is something, again, that we have to do on an ongoing basis, and it's so important that we get it right. So can you explain what this practice means, choosing wisely what we suffer for? Well, it, it really goes back to acknowledging that there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be roadblocks, there's going to be uh, a, a team level of, of, of suffering, there's going to be individual levels of suffering. I mean, look at the current state of where we are right now in 2020 with the global pandemic. Businesses, large and small, are having to significantly uh, pivot and reinvent themselves. And now's the time. It's, it's not when things are, you know, now is the time to really look for the opportunities uh, within an organization to say, well, maybe we've been doing a lot of things the wrong way. Maybe there's been a lot of waste. Maybe we can really shore things up in this organization and come out of this stronger than we were before. And many organizations are doing that. Uh, some of our clients are doing that. But the organizations that are not willing to suffer and don't have a high level of engagement within their team because they haven't engaged them in this new normal, then they're going to be suffering for the wrong things. And so when I say purposeful suffering, 
and choose wisely what you suffer for is suffer for the right things based on setting and pursuing the right goals, whether that be a professional goal or a personal goal, things that you're passionate about or things that bring good into the world <laughs> and something that you can really drive forward knowing that there will be challenges, there will be obstacles, there will be some pain, but that's good because you know you're pursuing something of meaning to you or something of meaning to the team or to the organization or to your customer. Um, but again, organizations that aren't willing to do that or individuals who aren't willing to do that uh, spend a lot of time focusing energy and emotion on things that are out of their control. This point really challenges entrepreneurs to do some soul searching, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, this is an important practice that I want to make sure the listeners act upon today. What are you suffering for? Make sure to choose it wisely. So, Brent, at this point, we've talked about what it means to embrace a suck. And then you shared some ways to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And before we end today, I want to go into one more thing in the last section of your book, which is titled Take Action, Execute, Execute, Execute. And because I know that you are bred for action and getting things done, uh, I want to make sure that you talk to us about organizing an 80% plan. Can you talk to us about this? It really comes down to better planning. And that's that's as an individual. You know, my first book, Taking Point, is about organizational transformation. This book is more about personal transformation, but many of the tools in the book still apply in a team setting as well. So when we talk about uh, better planning and better execution, there's a model for that, a model that we actually teach our Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 clients uh, as an organizational development consulting firm. And you'd think that a lot of these big companies have this dialed in. And oftentimes they don't. And same thing in the SEAL teams. We have a very specific uh, planning and execution model that also includes constant debriefing. So we have the appropriate feedback loops required for rapid course correction and creating a, a culture of learning uh, so that we can continually improve. Um, so it really starts with you know having a clear objective. So whether this is a personal goal or an objective for, uh, for an organization, whether that be an, an annual goal, a financial goal, or an exit strategy, whatever that goal is, that objective has to be very clear and concise that the team really understands. So, you know, there's a model called OKR, Objectives and Key Results, so that you can really clearly define, okay, what is it we're trying to achieve within this project, within the company, or within this personal developmental goal? And then you have to identify the threats and blockages. What is going to be standing in my way or the team's way that we have to list and put down on paper within our strategic plan so that we know what we're looking at and we can possibly navigate those obstacles ahead of time? Then you gotta identify resource needs. What resources do I or the team need to achieve this goal? Some resources will be bucketed into the category of within our, you know, within our sphere of influence, things that we have or things that we need to go acquire. Uh, and then you wanna start applying lessons learned. Okay, who's done this before? Uh, what can we identify to this plan in its current state that you know maybe we can make sure that we don't make the same mistakes we made last time or that we don't make the same mistakes somebody on the team made at a different organization and apply those lessons learned to the plan. Uh, and then you have, uh, then you want to have uh, your, your action planning, the who, the what, and the when. Everything very specific, very time bound. So everybody, everybody knows who's responsible, who's accountable, who's consulted, and who's informed on what needs to get done and by when to move the needle forward on this project or this strategic plan. And then you have sort of a 50 to 60% plan. And then you want to go through what we call a red team process. And in the book, as you know, this methodology that I'm explaining could apply to a, to a personal goal. Like I said, training for a marathon or, uh, you know, or some type of personal developmental goal. Well, the red team basically is a person or small committee of people 
will essentially, in its simplest form, poke holes in the plan. Whether that, again, whether that be an organizational objective, a personal objective, uh, or professional goal, they're going to come in and have some idea of what you're trying to achieve, but it's an out outside perspective of a person or people who will identify things that maybe you haven't thought of yet. And, you know, oftentimes they'll be telling you things you already thought of, but sometimes there'll be some gems or nuggets of wisdom that you can go back and say, okay, maybe we need to uh, add this to our threats and blockages. Uh, maybe this is a resource need we didn't think of. Let's put that on the list. Um, and then you want to, uh, and then you have your red team, and then you go back and then you start planning contingencies. And your contingencies are broken into a, a few categories too of, you know, what, you know, the, the what if, uh, and then identifying the trigger. Okay, so how will we know if that what if happens? And then what's the action we need to take to course correct? So then you have basically an 80% plan, and then it's all about execution. So in the book, as you know, I talk about discipline, I talk about accountability, both personal and the team level. That's another thing that really enhances uh, a team environment and creates, it, it's the bedrock of high, high performance teams is accountability. I talk about two of the most important culture pillars uh, in an organization or a team, and those are accountability and trust. Uh, those are measurable and they drive growth, scalability, and profitability in any type of company. Another thing I wish I had learned earlier on. <laughs> yeah, of course. There's a, a quote from the book where you say discipline and accountability aren't just the path to winning more in life, but also the true gateway to happiness and fulfillment which is something that I wrote down for myself because I thought that was really a meaningful saying that you had there. Um, but I, man, I got to say that you're probably one of the most actionable guests we've had. Like you're just calling it out. I feel like everyone's just gonna be taking tons of notes. I hope they're not driving while they're listening to this. A lot of great information that you're sharing with us today, man. So I really appreciate that. No, absolutely. It's uh, again, this, this, this quote unquote wisdom comes from a long series of very costly mistakes. Um, but again, that's, that's why, entrepreneurs need to pay attention to those that have gone before and so that we can make fewer of the, the mistakes that we do. Um, and when it comes to discipline and accountability, sometimes that seems daunting to people. They're like, oh gosh, that sounds stressful and painful. But really, uh, individuals and teams that are more disciplined and more accountable uh, achieve more of their goals. And therefore, they're more fulfilled. They're happier. And uh, they're more confident in the next lofty pursuit because of that level of discipline and it continues to grow and grow and grow uh, as opposed to the opposite where we aren't achieving as many of those goals and objectives. And typically that continues to backslide unless we <laughs> wake up and be more disciplined. Right. Absolutely. I love that. Discipline accountability. I think that's a good way to end this conversation. Brent, I thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your service as a Navy SEAL. I really appreciate it today, man. Thanks, Alex. It was a pleasure and uh, hope to do it again. I've always wondered what it would be like to interview a Navy SEAL. Talk about an actionable conversation. Brent shared practical steps that each of us can take to train ourselves to get more comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I challenge you, take action from what you heard today. Additionally, if you want to dive further into the mind of a Navy SEAL, be sure to grab a copy of Brent's book. You'll hear some war stories and training stories that you seriously won't believe. And of course, you'll also learn how to live a more extraordinary life. Brent, first and foremost, thank you again for your service as a Navy SEAL and also spending time with us today to share your wisdom about succeeding as an entrepreneur. To learn more about Brent Gleason and to pick up a copy of his book, Embrace the Suck, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 070. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing you another masterclass episode next week.